you don't mind if I speak to you from down here. This was a very special week for my wife and I. This was our sixth anniversary this week, and it happened to correspond with her birthday as well. And uh, the Lord has been very gracious to us, and I wanted to give thanks to the Lord before uh, we begin the message this morning, since I heard Pastor, Pastor inspired me to say a word or two. So. This morning, our topic, as it is listed in your bulletin, is without a shelter, without a shelter. I'm going to kneel as far as possible. If you'd like to join me, you may. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful, Lord, that we can be gathered here into your house. And now as we open up the pages of your holy word and gain hope, encouragement, and understanding as to where we are in our lives and where we are in this earth's history, that you would, Lord, please pour out your spirit upon us. Anoint our minds. Help there to be a revival in this place and that we would go forth into this island shining the light of the knowledge of your glory unto all your children, that many may come into your fold and into your truth, and that we may go home very soon, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I haven't always lived in the United States. Uh, shortly after college, I went to India and lived in India for almost two years. And while I was there in India, we had the opportunity to do some ministry around the country. And I want to tell you about one of those times, which was in uh, late December of 2004. We had the opportunity to go to a place called Mahablipuram. Mahablipuram is a beautiful beach front resort and that Friday night when we came in on the 24th we bumped into some friends from a local Adventist congregation and we knew each other and we had a lovely time not only Friday night but as you can see sa Sabbath afternoon uh, we had a wonderful time our choir sang these are children from my uh, wife's parents orphanage and uh, they we have children there from North and South India and all of the children from South India went home during this time, and the children from North India stayed with us. So we decided to do something special. That's why we're at the beach. Lovely fellowship, Sabbath afternoon and Sabbath. Then Sunday morning, the 26th, we, I was getting ready for a camp meeting in about a, a, a city that was about uh, three or four hours away. And my mother-in-law, she took about 20-some children to the beach that morning, and it was, a, it was about 8 o'clock in the morning. And some of the children had never seen the ocean before, not as privileged as you all are here to see the ocean from all angles, wherever you drive almost. And she was explaining the power of God in nature. I want to share with you a verse that she shared with them. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Job. Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38, and we pick it up in verse 11. Job chapter 38, verse 11, describing the power of God and his control over the things of this world, the ocean and all of the things that are therein. And she read this verse to them in verse, verse 11 and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shalt thou proud waves be stayed. Talking about the power of God and his control uh, in creation and his creative hand. A couple of minutes later at 8.15, she allowed the children to go out into the water and to have a good time. And they started to splash around on the outside of the water. Most Indians, I'll tell you a secret, cannot swim. And so they didn't know how to swim, they were scared. And about 15 minutes later at 8.30, my father-in-law called me and he said, he said, let's go to uh, 
let's go to a breakfast across the street. So we gathered up all the children and I put my projector, my, lap, my laptop upstairs. I had been staying on the ground floor. We went across the street to the restaurant and began eating our breakfast. And all of a sudden the waiters came running into the restaurant and they said, the ocean has come out, the ocean has come out. And we thought, oh, you know, superstitious Hindus, they're just making up something. And we kept eating our food. And as we began to finish up our food, we went out and we saw that indeed the ocean really had come out. And the waters were about uh, two football fields lengths closer than they were before. We went to our room and looked in our hotel room and we saw that the big bureau, uh, solid wood like this with drawers, was turned like this. The water level in our room was uh, the transition point between the gray and the white here in this room. There was seaweed in our room. And some of our children's clothes were swept out to sea. And the ocean sounded like a roaring lion. Roosh, roosh. And the locals were very scared. Now, that's, it was unique for me because these are people who live by the ocean, similar to you, all their lives. But they were unsettled at what had just taken place. We didn't understand what had happened. But we knew we had to leave soon. We packed up all of our things and began to run. The children quickly gathered their bags and we packed them into the small bus in which we came. And as we were leaving the hotel, the second wave came, came in as we were going out. That was December 26, 2004, Sunday morning, India, the tsunami. And as we were leaving that place, we saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people walking along the side of the road. The city, which you know as Madras, which is now Chennai, was partially covered with water. The railroad tracks were covered, and trains were not passing through there. They were going around another way. And I had to get somehow to the train station. And we began to pray, and the Lord helped us. But we could not help to see the thousands of people. There were tourists. There were everybody walking along the side of the road. Many people asking themselves what had taken place, not knowing the severe extent of what had happened. And many people who found themselves in that day without a shelter. And as I thought about the people and looked on their faces, you know what it reminded me of? What we read in the Bible. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Daniel chapter 12, we begin in verse 1. The Bible says here in Daniel 12, 1, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there was, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to, the, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. This reminded me of the time of trouble in which I was seeing people dis in despair, not knowing what was going to happen. People who had just lost their homes, they had lost family members, and they were just lost wandering around. In these last days, there is coming a tsunami that no barrier can stop. That tsunami is called the time of trouble. What are we going to do in that time? Will we have a shelter? And what will that shelter be? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 61. Psalm 61. Psalm 61, and we begin in verse 3. Psalm 61, verse 3. The Bible says, for thou has been a what? 
for me and a strong tower from the enemy. Who is this thou who is going to be a shelter for you and for me in the time of trouble? I want you to look at the next verse down. Go back to verse 2. From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the what? That is higher than I. The Bible says that in these last days we have a shelter. That shelter is a rock. Who is this rock in which is our shelter in the last days? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. And I believe that the stories that are in the Bible are there for a reason, for a purpose. Even the stories in the Old Testament help to illuminate last day events. What do you think? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we pick it up in verse 4. The Bible says, and did all drink of that same what? Spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was who? Christ. Christ is our spiritual shelter in the time of storm. I like the way he's likened to in Daniel chapter 2. Is rock and stone synonymous with God in the Bible? Turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Is God also called a stone in the Bible? Genesis chapter 49 verse 24. And this is what we studied this week in Daniel class. Daniel chapter 49 verse 24 says this, but his bow abode in strength and his arms of his hands were made what? Strong by his hands of the mighty who? God of Jacob. From hence is the shepherd the what? stone of Israel. Here, the Bible calls the God of Israel a stone. Not only a rock, but a stone. Turn with me also in your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. Many times we get confused by false doctrine because we do not study our Bible. We follow what false shepherds have to say. We need to follow what the Word of God says. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28 verse 16. Isaiah 28 and we look in verse 16. The Bible says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay where? For a foundation of what? And, try, and tried a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. What is this talking about? A stone that was a cornerstone? That's right. Peter tells us it is Jesus. Here we see in the Bible that not only a rock, which is our shelter, rep represents Jesus, but a stone, which represents Jesus. Uh, a stone in the Bible represents Jesus. Just a little fact from Daniel. Just take a look at the image here. I want you to note that the head of gold represented which kingdom? Babylon. The chest and arms of silver represented which kingdom? The belly and thighs of brass represented which kingdom? The legs of iron represented which kingdom? And the feet of iron and clay represented? According to the servant of the Lord, the kingdom of churchcraft and statecraft. So why would this vision of Daniel chapter 2 somehow break down and you go from kingdom, 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 kingdom to people? Does that make sense? 
No, so as we look at Daniel chapter 2, we see kingdom following kingdom, following kingdom, following kingdom, following kingdom. The kingdom of Christ, which is our refuge and our strength, our very help in the time of danger. Which kingdom are we talking about? Turn with me in your Bibles. In your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. The fifth verse. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. You're very familiar with this verse. The Bible mentions a very special child. The Bible says in verse 5, And she brought forth a child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up where? Unto God and unto his throne principle in the Bible, if you have a throne, you have one who sits on the throne. Who is that called? A king. And a king rules over what? A kingdom. So if you have a throne, you have a king, you have a kingdom. What throne did Jesus go and sit on? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we look at verse 16 Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 Hebrews 4:16 the Bible says let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in the time of need Jesus went up he went to sit on the throne of grace whose throne was this turn with me to revelation chapter 3 revelation chapter 3 and we look at verse 21 revelation chapter 3 verse 21 we used to teach an old concept in adventism it's called it's called uh the principle of two kingdoms we in Adventism never used to blend the kingdoms of grace and this next kingdom together. But somehow, as time has gone by, we slip by and we forget what our pioneers have carefully crafted and carved out through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which he gave to them. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Revelation 3, verse 21. This is a promise to which church? Laodicea, who lives at the end of time, notice what it says in verse 21. To him that do what? Overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Whose throne is Jesus sitting in? Right now, his father's throne. What, what is the uh, name of that throne we saw in Hebrews 4.16? It's a, it's a throne of grace, therefore it's a kingdom of grace. But this kingdom in which we see in Daniel chapter 2, which will help us, by the way, you have to be a member of the kingdom of grace before you can be a member of the kingdom of glory. The Bible mentions a special kingdom that would come. It is called the kingdom of glory. It is not a people group. It is our God and his kingdom. We see that in Matthew chapter 24 very clearly. Now, let's jump ahead because I want you to see something very important here. As we're talking about Jesus representing a rock, that has special allusion back to the Old Testament. Turn with me back to Numbers. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of something very important. Does anybody remember the situation here in Numbers chapter 20? Yeah, there were people who were thirsty. That's right. And Moses and Aaron, the people finally vexed them and vexed them and complained and complained. And where did they go? They went to God. I mean, Moses and Aaron, the people came to Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron went to God. And God told them to do something specifically. What did he tell them to do? 
Yes, exactly. Very good. He told him to speak to the rock. What did Moses do? Verse 11 tells us this. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. And what did he do? Smote the rock. What was Moses supposed to do? Speak to the rock. Why was Moses supposed to speak to the rock? Yes, that rock, as we saw earlier, was representative of Jesus. And do we need to uh, beat Jesus in order to make our request known? Some of you laughing. It's, we don't. What are we supposed to do to the rock, our shelter? Speak, ask, and he will give it unto us. But Moses smote the rock. By the way, you'll be interested to know that this word smote, it's also translated in Hebrew, murder or kill. Or slay. God never meant for his son to be slain. But because of our sins, he was. And now, as it says in, back in Psalms that we were looking at, it tells us about that rock. And also Paul tells us here, when Jesus ascended on high after he was slain, he led captivity captive, and what did he do? He gave good gifts unto men. So he ascended up on high. This is the exact same language in which we see from Psalm 61, verse 2. Notice what it says about the rock. Lead me to that rock which is higher than I. If that rock represents Jesus and he's now higher than I, what is he doing on high for you and for me? We already read this, Revelation 12, 5. He's sitting on the right hand of his father, is he not? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. As he's sitting beside his father, what is he doing? What is the rock doing now? Hebrews chapter 12. And make that 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And we're looking at verse 1. The Bible says, now this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is what? Set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Isn't that nice? Our rock, our shelter in the time of storm is a high priest who is sitting on high for you and for I. What is he doing there? Notice 7.25, chapter 7 and verse 25. The Bible says this, Wherefore he is able also to do what? Save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to do what? Make intercession for them. So Christ as our high priest, he's ascended on high. He is our shelter in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. What is, he as, what is he, as our high priest, a shelter? What is he sheltering us from? Turn with me back to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, and I want you to notice with me verse 5. Psalm 27 and verse 5. The Bible says, for in the time of what? He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a what? A rock. 
God will hide us in the last days. He will protect us in the time of trouble. He will set us on a rock if we come unto him, believing that he ever lives to make intercession for us. How many of you are struggling with something right now in here? Don't you raise your hand. Has there been something this week that has tried you? That has been difficult? That has put your faith to the test? I want you to know this morning that you have a rock. Something that is firm. Something that cannot be moved. Something that is in the most holy place or someone that is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary this morning. And that no matter what your struggle is, he is there living for your intercession, if you're willing, to protect you from what is about to take place on this earth. The Bible calls it the time of trouble. What else is it called? Turn with me to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1. Zephaniah 1, verse 15. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says, and that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Zephaniah calls it a day of not only trouble, but also wrath. What is this talking about, this time of trouble, this time of wrath? Turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation, the 16th verse. Or excuse me, 15, 16th chapter, and we look at verse 1. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. What is this day of trouble, day of wrath? Verse 16 says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go thy ways, and pour out the what? vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So this day of trouble is within vials, which is going to be poured out upon the earth. What do these vials have within it? Turn with me to Revelation 15. Revelation 15 and verse 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. What is in those vials? The seven last plagues. In which God is going to pour out upon the earth. But not for those who make the Lord their shelter and their rock. That time, as we read earlier is going to be a time such as never was upon this earth. It's going to be a time in which is going to try the patience of the saints to its fullest extent. Are we a patient people? I see some laughing. I, this, this week, I have been tried. My patience has been tried. Has yours? Are we going to be able to stand during this most difficult trial if we cannot even stand the few little trials that we have interpersonally with one another? You know the finest test, I believe, of true Christianity is found within four walls that you, put in, that you have your address attached to. What do you think? True Christianity is seen in its utmostness at home. It's easy to be good Christians when we come to church to put on our nice shirts and to put, in our, put on our nice dresses and to come here and to spend time together like we heard in Sabbath school. It's easy. We only see one another once a week or if we're uh, blessed enough to come to a prayer meeting twice a week. But how about the one who we see every day, every night, morning and evening? Sun up, sun down, we're together. How do you treat your loved ones? 
true Christianity begins in a home. And if we do not make the Lord our rock in our home, we're done. Frankly, we're done. Consider Father Abraham, right, which we learned about in Sabbath school. You know what he did wherever he went? He erected something, didn't he? What did he erect? An altar. What is that representative of? What did he do upon that altar? Worship. What altar is torn down in our homes normally? The altar of worship. It's called the altar of family worship. How many families are spending time together? Morning, evening, worshiping the Lord, gaining strength. God is calling on us to come up higher because the Bible tells us that Michael is going to stand up at a certain time, and this time is going to try Seventh-day Adventists more than any other time in Earth's history. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, verse 45. Daniel chapter 11, the 45th verse. The beginning of verse 12 says, or tw chapter 12, verse 1 says, At that time shall Michael stand up. Which time is the Bible talking about? Daniel chapter 11, and we look at the 45th verse of that chapter. And he, speaking of the king of the north, the papacy, shall plant the tabernacle of his palaces between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. Here we see something very interesting. The king of the north, he shall plant the tabernacle of his palaces between something, between the mountain and between the seas. What is tabernacle? generally referring to in the Bible. It has to do with worship. It has to do with religion. What about palace? What, who is a palace for? A king. In other words, the papacy is going to place its union of state and church together and divide the glorious holy mountain and the sea. What is going to divide, by the way, what is the glorious holy mount here? You go back to Daniel chapter 9, look at verse 20, and the holy mountain is referring to Israel of old. Here we're talking about future Israel, symbolic Israel. Therefore, it is referring to us, dividing us and the sea. What does sea represent in the Bible? People, multitude, nations, and what, is, what church state relationship is going to divide us as a people? and the rest of the world. Sunday law. So at the time of the Sunday law, and just shortly after, Michael is going to stand up for his people. But I want you to know that we have to make our rock, Jesus our rock, today and not wait for the national Sunday law. How do you react in, in crisis? Do you do well in crisis or not so well in crisis? The small crises that we have in our lives today are to prepare us for those, that big crisis which is going to fall upon the face of all humanity. And if we can't handle the small crisis, well, we're not going to be ready in that day. So how can we be ready? How can we be ready for this great time? A time in which there will be, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 59, no intercessor. No intercessor. I want to refer you back to the story in which we were talking about in Numbers, right? The story of Moses and the rock. When he hit that rock, what came out? Water. If the rock is symbolic, and Paul tells us that, 
what is the water symbolic of? Which watery form is God going to use to refresh his people in these last days? Turn with me to John, if you would. John 38, chapter 7, verse 38. John chapter 38 and 30, or verse 38 and 39. Chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. Bible says in verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of what? Living water. What is this living water? Verse 38. Or make that for 39. But this spake he of the Spirit. When Jesus ascended up on high, what watery form did he issue forth his Spirit? Turn with me to Hosea. Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3. I've given you a little hint on the screen. Hosea chapter 6 verse 3 says this. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning. And he shall come unto us as the rain. As the latter rain and the former rain unto the earth. The Bible here describes God's, uh, the watery form in which he's going to pour out upon mankind is called rain. First former, then latter. How can we be prepared to receive this? I want to share with you a statement as we prepare for the latter rain. Taken from Maranatha. I saw that there, I saw that many were neglecting the what? So needful, and were looking to the time of refreshing, in other words, the latter rain, to fit them to stand in the day of the Lord, and to live in, the, in his sight. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble, what? without a shelter. They had neglected the needful preparation, therefore they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them to live in the sight of a holy God. So the servant of the Lord in Maranatha tells us that she saw many, many who were not ready, who were neglecting the preparation for that time. What is the preparation that we need? John. Let's go first to John and then we'll go to Acts. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Verse 7 and 8. John 16, 7 and 8. What does the Holy Spirit, how does he prepare us? Verse 7 says in 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, ascend on high, like we saw before, I will send him unto you. And he, when he is come, he will do what? Reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The work of the Holy Spirit in watery form is to prepare us. The former rain is to prepare us to receive the latter rain. It convicts, it convicts us of sin. Now, what are the conditions for us to receive the the latter rain. Turn with me to Acts. Acts chapter 3. You see it on the screen. 
Peter said, repent ye therefore and be what? Converted. In order for us to be converted and to be ready for the times of refreshing, which shall be poured out from the presence of the Lord, we must repent. What is repentance? It is a sorrow. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. Here Paul outlines two types of sorrows. As you're looking at it, I'll explain it. One is a godly sorrow. The other one is a worldly sorrow. What is the difference? I want to illustrate it for you. How many of you love to bake cookies? Nobody? Okay, there we go, a few hands. Do you remember as a child or as a parent when you were baking cookies, and this happened to me when I was growing up, and I told uh, my fam, my, my uh, grandmother came around the corner and she said, I'm baking some cookies. I said, oh, can I have some, can I have some? And she said, no, they're for after dinner. And she pulled the pan out of the oven and she set them up someplace real high. And I snuck back over here and looked and waited. And then when Grandma was gone, and then Grandma came in. Am I sorry because I am, I have done something wrong, or am I sorry because I was caught? This illustrates the two different types of repentance, at least one type. Normally when we are caught in the act of doing something wrong, it is the worldly type of sorrow. We're sorry because we were caught. The other type of repentance is a sorrow because we have done something wrong. And because we realize that in the sight of a holy God, it goes against his character of love. We have broken those beautiful precepts in which he has given to us. Repentance, a sorrow, a true sorrow for sin. But it doesn't stop there. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, and I want you to pick it up with me. In verse 21, or 20 and 21. Ezekiel 18, 20 and 21. Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither the father bear the iniquity of the son. Pause right there. Pause right here. Just a good side note. We as Seventh-day Adventists don't believe in original sin. Amen? In other words, we don't believe that man was born with the, with, uh, the condemnation of the sin of Adam, do we? No, we don't, because we believe what Ezekiel says, right? Son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father the son. All right, let's go back in verse 20. Bible says, The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon who? Him. In other words, if you do wickedly, it'll be upon you. If you do righteously, it'll be upon you. Now, here's the point. Verse 21. Notice the main punchline. But if the wicked will do what? Turn from his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely do what? Live and shall not die. The wicked not only, the, when we realize that we've done something wrong and we have uh, been wicked, we have to not only have a sorrow, but we have to turn. We have to turn. Turn the opposite direction. And this turning is not only a turning that, that is involved in just doing something that's right. For example, take for example, Sister Lot. We talked about her 
Wednesday night. Was she in the right place? Was she going the way of the Lord? She was going the way of the Lord. God called them out of, out of Sodom and to go to the mountains. And she was on her way. The problem was not with what she was doing. The problem was her heart. And we have a problem today as a people. Our hearts are still in spiritual Sodom. And we have not turned truly the other way in true repentance. We still go to the movies. We still listen to worldly music. We still do all the things that Babylon does and the world does. But God wants us to have a true heart-filled repentance. Not only a sorrow, but a turning the other direction. So that we may be ready for his refreshing. It's not because he does not want us to have fun. Let me tell you something. May I share something with you? These hands have not always been pristine in holding the Bible. But I tell you this, that when I was in the world, I was not happy. But when I turned and re truly repented and turned towards God, I've never had so much happiness in my life. And I get to go on uh, nice, to nice places like this. Free of charge. And the benefits are out of this world. God God's calling on our lives is something far greater than, than we can ever imagine. And we think we're so happy when we're doing the things that are of this world, but only if we turn to the things of God. How much joy and happiness there are in doing his ways. God calls us to repent. He calls us to be converted. What does conversion mean? Turn with me to Ephesians really quickly. We're almost ready to close. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we look at verse 22. Beautifully described here what it means to be converted. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 says, That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. That's similar to what we were talking about. And be renewed in what? In the spirit of your mind. Not just bodily at church, but mentally at church. Verse 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and holiness. Not only turning and putting off, but doing that which God loves. That's conversion. Does that sound like something that's too difficult for our mighty God to do in our lives? Sometimes we make Satan more powerful than God. You know that? You know how we do that? When we continue in our old paths and we say, well, God is still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Did you know that God can make you what you ought to be today? Because God judges us according to the light that we know. And he gives us light so that we can grow with that light. And if we grow with that light, we are converted. We are what Jesus would have us to be. This is a statement from Last Day Events, page 192. Last Day Events, 192. I saw that none could share the refreshing unless they obtained victory over how many? Every besetment over pride, selfishness, love of the world, and over every wrong word and action. We should therefore be drawing nearer and nearer to the Lord and be earnestly seeking the preparation necessary to enable us to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Let all remember that God is what? 
and that none but holy beings can ever dwell in his presence. So if we want to be a part of that beautiful spiritual kingdom, which we saw illuminated uh, in Daniel chapter 2, and we want to have a part of that kingdom, God asks us to lay aside every weight. Pride, selfishness, whatever it is in our lives, God asks us to lay it aside. And if we do that, special blessings are there for us. In closing, I'd like to propose two reasons which are hindering us from receiving those spiritual blessings. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. And this is why we, I have come this week and why a pastor has, been placed, has had a burden placed upon his heart to start a school of the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. In verse 2, the Bible says, Lift thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lined with, and in the ways thou hast set for them, and the Arabians in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Verse 3, therefore the showers have been what? Withholden. What type of showers? The Bible says, and there hath been no latter rain. Why? And thou hast a what type of forehead? Whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. The Bible says that, that uh, God's people have a problem. They have a whore's forehead. How do we get a whore's forehead? Turn with me to G Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, describing that great power from Revelation 17. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. Can I make it plain for you today why God's people have not received the latter rain? Revelation chapter 2, verse 20 says this. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman who? Jezebel. Here Jezebel is symbolized by a woman. Was she not symbolized as a uh, an unholy woman in the Bible. Is that not true? What does she do? Verse 20 says, Which calleth herself a prophetess to do what? To teach. Don't miss that. We're going to pause on that note. Not only does she teach, but she also seduces the servants. Jezebel teaches. Here Jezebel is referring to the Roman Catholic papacy. And it says that she teaches. Why do God's people in the last days have not received the latter rain? Because we have a whore's forehead. We have received papal education. And we're not ready to receive the latter rain. We have to so unlearn the things in which we have learned. And that's why your pastor has done the, the best that he could. He set up a school of the prophets so that you can learn God's ways and have God's forehead it's too bad that more of us can't take advantage of that school God is calling on us to have his forehead what is in the forehead of God's people in the last days Revelation chapter 14 Revelation chapter 14 verse 1 says this, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in his forehead. Are the things in which you're studying, are the things in which you're learning, growing you to have this type of forehead, a forehead that has the father's name written in it, or a, or a whore's forehead? There's one more reason why I think God's people will not be ready for the latter rain. And that is taken from Revelation chapter 18. 
Revelation chapter 18, verse 23. Revelation 18, 23. Speaking about Babylon and the judgments that will fall on Babylon. Verse 23 says, And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee, for thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy what? Sorceries were all nations deceived. I believe in these last days that many people will not have a part of the latter rain because of sorceries. This word sorceries in the Greek language is the word pharmakia, where we get our English word pharmacy. And we walk around so medicated in our minds that we will not be ready to receive the latter rain. Daniel and his fellows, as, as we studied this week at the school, they had a pure mind. You know why they had a pure mind? They had a great diet. What did Daniel and his friends tell the, king, the king's servant to bring for them? Yeah, bring us pulse, bring us fruits and vegetables and water that we may eat. And they ate, and you know what they were found at the end of that judgment by the king Nebuchadnezzar? Ten times wiser. God's people can be much wiser than the world. If we take God's methods at hand, we have been given so much as a people. My prayer is for each one of us that is in this room that we will be so dedicated to God, to his truth, and to that rock, which is much higher than we are now, that we will be hid, as it were, in the cleft of the rock. And we will be ready to go home with him when he comes back. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to make a special appeal to each one of you. As every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, I want to ask you a special question today. How many of you today want Jesus to be your rock and your shelter and turn to him and to be ready to stand in the time of trouble on that rock? May I see your hands? Praise the Lord. One more question as we close. How many of you would like to give up something that you have brought with you today? Something that could hinder the power of the Holy Spirit working in your lives. Something that you know that the Lord has been telling you. And now the time is right. The time is right for you to give it up. How many of you would like to give up something that you brought with you today and to be ready for the Lord's coming? May I see your hands? Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, if you'd like to consecrate your lives to the Lord and seal it with a prayer, I invite you to slip to your knees as we have a word of prayer. Can we do that? Father in heaven, we're so thankful, Lord, for your love and your mercy. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus who is our shelter in the time of storm. And Lord, we need to have him as our shelter today. Please, Lord, give us a true repentance and a sorrow for sin and a turning away from our sins. A, a conversion experience, Lord, we ask for. That you would take our filthy lives, our filthy garments, and give us garments of flesh and white, beautiful white robes that we may be ready for your coming. Lord, please help us to be able to stand in the last days and help us to be mindful of the, Satan's attacks upon, upon us, your people, that no matter what comes our way, we may be ready. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayer this day. I pray for everybody that is here not only for us, Lord, also but for our families, that we would all be there on that great gathering day as we go marching in to Zion. 
We do pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.